Podcast, the music industry podcast where everything is terrible and the house is on fire. I'm your occasional co-host, Keefe from GhostCultMag.com. And with me, as always, is my amazing co-host, Curtis Dewar. Hello, hello. And introduce our guest, Curtis. This is what we are going to be speaking to the amazing Andy from Monoliths. Hello, Andy. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Very good. Awesome. So, Andy, Andy is... uh, Monolith is a uh, death metal band from South Africa, our favorite place in the world, just about. And uh, these days (laughs) on the podcast, and uh, we've heard a lot of awesome stuff about your band. Why don't you give us the comic book one origin story? How did you get into music? How did Monolith form? Let's start there. Okay, well, we are all um, guys that have been around the scene for a while. Particularly in PE, I did live in Cape Town for a little bit. I had like one or two shows there. Um, the rest of the guys have played in bands before. We all knew each other. The scene's not that that big in Port Elizabeth. Everyone kind of knows each other. And um, Christopher and Dave, the drummer and the and the other guitar player that does does vocals as well, they started the band as sort of a studio project in 2015. Uh, did two EPs, Legacy of the Opium Eater in 2015, Memory Palace in 2016. Started to gain a little bit of traction and um, sort of just hanging around with them, we we floated the idea of what if we make this a, an actual like live band that we can do shows and everything. And so mm-hmm. I joined and um, Coburn, the bass player, joined as well. Um, I write quite a bit as well, as does Chris. So then we had like sort of two writing partners that production really ramped up and um, yeah so when we've got our first full length our debut full length album coming out 28th of April this year so yeah we've, we've waited a little while till we did the full length album but we really put a lot of time and effort into it and, and that's pretty much where we stand now sort of building up the fan base um, getting out of our small town a little bit playing some shows yeah getting the ball rolling <laughs> How how is it going to work for shows with uh, lockdown for the next I think fourteen days where you're at? Yeah, so we are in day ten of a twenty one day lockdown. It's quite um, it was a good call. We haven't had as many infections as some other countries. Um, mm-hmm. There's the potential for for it to go off here if it gets pretty bad. I mean, we do we do have in certain areas high um, popu- uh, in, well, population density. Yeah. A little bit of coffee as well. Things like places where there's no running water, so it's difficult to wash your hands. Um, so they made an early call, um, which has been good. Um, it's quite strict. There's no sale of alcohol and cigarettes at the moment, which people are sometimes really? are feeling, feeling the pinch. Yeah, yeah. So we had, a, um, we had, uh, we were basically allowed to buy essential items which is a very broad category. They haven't been too strict with that, but yeah, alcohol and cigarettes are, are on the non-essential list. Um, wow. So, yeah, I think for some bands it's been productive. I mean, a lot of guys are doing little videos from home, um, that sort of thing. So it, it kind of opens up 
other opportunities, but yeah, there's no there's no playing shows at the moment. Some venues are struggling. I know of a venue in Cape Town that's closed down for the meantime. Yeah. What 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 about? Um, do you know if they're going to be extending the lockdown there? To your knowledge, or is it going to be like you're back open for business in eleven days or whatever it is? I think everyone is sort of hoping that's going to be the case. Um, there are there are obviously some schools of thought that I mean, what what becomes of the virus after twenty one days? I mean, it's not like it's disappeared. So there is potential for it to be extended. Um, obviously, the, the the lockdown comes with a lot of economic setback and um, guys like myself I'm a guitar teacher so I sort of earn my money off of lessons we've moved a lot of the lessons online but I mean it's still for for small businesses and stuff I think those guys are hoping we go back pretty soon but um, we've I think we've got to take stock of of what it looks like after 21 days I mean there is supposed to be like a, a week incubation period for the for the virus as well Mm-hmm. But, um, the effects can be delayed sometimes too. So you've, you've really got to look out for that. But we've, our government has been on the ball. I think they've taken a few lessons from other countries, I mean, Italy and guys, guys that have struggled a bit. So they've tried to stay a little bit ahead of, of everything. Yeah. Well, that's good. So how do you think um, you guys can take advantage of this time with lessened opportunity uh, in general? Like how, how can you guys as a band use this as an opportunity to get yourself better known, I guess is what I'm trying to ask. <clears throat> I think the the big thing that's coming out of lockdown is um, marketing, being able to market yourself, whether that's by little videos, little insights to the band, um, getting more productive as well. Mm-hmm. With, with the lockdown, we, we're not supposed to be traveling. Um, you're allowed to seek medical attention. You're allowed to go to the shop for food, but no, no like visiting friends, no roaming the streets or anything. So you obviously can't get to see your band members, but I mean, everything, you can do everything online anyway. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're at. Like trying to, trying to give people something online. Now that you've actually got the time to do that, you know, you, you, there's no excuse. You're sitting at home and, Totally. Days, yeah. If you if you've got the means, I mean, if you've got something to record yourself, a cell phone camera does the job, I suppose. But that that might come with other challenges. I mean, how do you how do you cut through everyone else as well? You've got to really create something unique and something that grabs. Totally, I agree. Keefe, did you have anything you wanted to ask before I, I Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> so that's actually the next logical question, which is so without giving away any of your prize ideas, what what would you suggest somebody do to cut through all that noise? Since it seems like suddenly everybody is on social media that hasn't been for months, especially Facebook and Instagram, where people seem to have been not fleeing the networks, but they're def- they definitely were less interested lately the last year. And now it seems like everybody are, is popping up that I haven't seen forever. <laughs> yep. Yeah, everyone's there. And everyone's a... Uh... Well, it seems like they spend half of their time just posting targeting memes and everything. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, it, I, I suppose you could call it like a bit of a flooded or saturated market at the moment because everyone's doing that. But I think what you can do for your fans specifically would be to give them a little bit more of the inside track on the band, maybe see some of the inner workings a little bit better, um, get the, like get let them get an insight into some of the songs, maybe even uh, whether that's playthroughs or I see Flesh got um, 
Apocalypse wanted to do some tabs. That's a, that's a cool idea. Just, I think giving them a window into the band um, more than they'd probably get, you know, just in the general day-to-day workings of a band, you know, gig, album, that type of thing. They've got the chance now to see see what goes on inside a little bit more, maybe get to know the songs more intimately, that type of thing. Totally. Um, now, what about you as a guitar teacher? Are you using it for any type of, are you, are you promoting in a different way for that, or do you just have regular clientele that you have recurring and you don't need to get any more customers? Yeah, it's, um, it kind of works that way. The the You can get a much more stable sort of income if you are um, contracted to schools. So you'll be at a specific school for one or two days of the week. Yeah. Um, they they basically pay you per term and then um, you know you can move around between different schools um, it works that way with guitar guitar is not um, necessarily seen as like one of the orchestral instruments or the classical instruments so to mm-hmm. find a, a full-time post where you're getting a salary every month is is rarer than it would be for a piano teacher or a violin teacher but um, but I mean there's so many people that want to that want to learn guitar so you never that short of customers, there's always privates that you can fill in. Um, for me, the private side is sort of, I think they're taking a break. There are, there are one or two people that will want to carry on online. In mm-hmm. terms of the schools, the schools are moving online now. Like, um, because everything is so tight in the school year, and they, they, as it is, it's really a push to get through the whole syllabus every year. So we're moving on to whatever platform I had a Skype lesson the other day, Zoom, WhatsApp call, um, even exchanging videos over WhatsApp where I'll record a little video showing them um, what they can fix in a piece and they'll send a video. Just staying in contact and, and keeping the ball rolling, basically. Cool. Very cool. Keithy, what was the topic you wanted to go over that was the subtopic? Oh, uh, well, I, I think Before we can talk. go a little deeper on, on some... Sure the monolith background first, but I do, I will get to my subtopic shortly. Um, So, you know, it's very interesting. We live in a, outside of this coronavirus period, you know, uh, looking at the bigger picture of music. Um, Death metal is such a tough, uh, music and music business in general is tough to break into anywhere in the world. Death Mm -hmm. metal, definitely not for everybody, although it's definitely a little more, you know, mainstream than it has been actually, um, I interviewed Trevor Sternod, who's been a you know a, a podcast guest once before, and uh, he's a guy who I feel like has been a really great ambassador for the genre globally, but also here in America. Is is there sort of a a Trevor or a George Corpse Grinder of South Africa? Is there like a most famous death metal artist or band who is like putting the genre on his back and helping make everybody unify? Or do you not do you not have that person yet? We sort of, we do, we've got, um, and speaking of Trevor, I think he um, was someone that that really mentioned Valvidinia um, at the time and put them on a list. I think he did for metal injection or something else. He did. Yep. And um, and uh, look, Valvidinia are, are doing amazing things and they're really the, the flying the flag for South African metal. And, I, and they, they're quite proud of that, I think. I don't think that they... Um, the, keep it a secret that they're from South Africa or anything. So they're really helping bands along. Very nice guys, very involved in the, in the local scene. Other than that, um, there's also a few stalwarts like Derek from Devil Speak. I mean, he's helped us personally 
speaking from a monolith perspective, I mean, with mentorship and really just teaching us the way things are done and showing us the right channels to go through. There's also Patrick Davidson from uh, Metal for Africa. He's been around for ages and been been promoting African metal in general. Because I mean, it's not all just about South Africa. There's some great bands from all over Africa. Um, our label uh, co-owner, Lyle Jensen, he's also been doing great stuff with MMD. Um, they've recently created the sub-label MMD Black. And they've, they've really been helping metal bands out a lot. And um, he brought his experience from the Cytron scene into, into metal and it's really been like a breath of fresh air. And you know, the, I think in a, in a smaller scene like in South Africa, you kind of do rely on the older guys to, to mentor the young bands. And then when you get a band like Fulvidinia, you have that, that saying that uh, high tide raises all ships type of thing and sort of get everyone to ride the wave as well. Nice. So now here's my next question here. So just in just in terms of um, you said that Volvidinia, I know they're probably the best known South African band out there. Why do you think that is, other than the fact that maybe Trevor has said nice things about them? I mean, they're they're worldwide known, basically, right? Yeah, they're huge. Um, I think that. It's definitely not just because Trevor mentioned they're, they're a good band and their live shows are insane. They're really, really good. Um, I think most people would probably say that they, they really know how to market themselves well, but I think that's sort of missing the, the first step. The first step is that they've got a really good product that they're selling mm-hmm. uh, in the first place. I mean, you can't, you can't really market something that's not international standard. So I think that's the first step, trying to, trying to actually – Put the time and effort and uh, into into hitting that that bar, and then from there you can sort of look at your marketing strategy, look at how you promote your band and, and things like that. And then once people come to see you at the live show, I mean you've got to you've got to live up to it as well. Totally. Do you think that most South African bands are not up to international standards? Like, I mean, I've the ones I've heard have been. I I mean, I thought they were, but I mean, maybe I'm not hearing enough. No, no. I think we, I think we've got some really good bands. I think we are, we are getting okay. like right there. The full, the new Fallen Profits album is crazy. That is like really, really good stuff. So, so why do you think it is that more people aren't hearing about the bands from that area? I think probably um, the marketing strategies. I, I don't know if bands are quite as as out there as maybe the international bands are. Maybe we don't. Uh, maybe we're a bit shy to market ourselves because um, it's certainly possible. I mean, in the age of the internet, it doesn't really matter where you come from. And in some, in some instances coming from Africa might be an advantage because I mean, how often do people get to hear metal bands from, from Africa or South Africa? They don't. Um, Every time I mention the name Africa, when I'm talking about you guys, people are like, what? <laughs> yeah. There's, there's bands there. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, the, I think it, it helps that, um, when there's a concerted effort, like yeah. there's, there's a whole bunch of guys doing it. And, um, and you know, once, once you get the ball rolling, but um, the age of the internet has probably, um, probably helped us a lot reach out and, and touch spaces that we wouldn't touch before. Um, the quality of, of recording equipment and the cheapness of home recording equipment probably also helps a lot. I mean, like with Monolith, we 
um, are pretty much self-sufficient when it comes to um, recording. I mean, the debut album, we recorded ourselves. We send it away for, for professional mastering. Yep. But that, that helps a band a lot. That helps you spend more time in the studio, work on, work on things, and really get a decent recording. That, that's a pretty big part of it. So, oh, sorry, go ahead. Keep yeah, I was going to chime in. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely just sort of awareness, right? Not because cause South Africa is huge and it's, you know, one of the most important countries in the world, but every band that we run across is awesome. So I don't find it to be an issue of quality or a lack of talent. I think it's just overlooked compared to the traditional America and America's press's traditional opinion that American bands are somehow more important because they're American, they're not. And I'm American. Um, Western Europe, which has always dominated the metal scene, um, you know, and it's just, and Australia, even though it's spread out, they have major bands, although not so much death metal, mostly metalcore and, you know, rock. But um, yeah, and, and South Africa has also been known, the first bunch of bands that have come through have been more mainstream rock bands. So I think there's sort of an underground of great metal bands that that just need a little light shined on them. You know, Trevor helped and, uh, you know, we're trying to help obviously by interviewing a lot of bands from the region, but I think it's just a quite like eventually that cream will rise to the top, you know? Totally. Yeah, yeah. Look, we, we've got a lot of talented bands and some really, really sick musicians. We, we're not struggling for talent. I think that's a just just getting out there and um, and making ourselves known, sort of um, sort of letting people know that that uh, there are bands here and there is a scene here. Um, but I suppose it takes a little bit of time. Like uh, it's a uh, the more people, the more bands start to to come out of South Africa. The you know it sort of grows uh, exponentially. So now one one other thing I, I was curious about. So. What, so when you guys are playing shows, like when it's actually obviously not on lockdown, how often do you guys actually do a show? Is it like once a month? Is it like every couple of weeks or is it just sporadically? It's probably more sporadic. Um, we sort of like, there's almost two layers to it because we're a South African band, but then we're also a South African band from one of the smaller towns. We are still a big town. But yeah. but we're not a we're not a Cape Town or a Joburg, so um, we've got a handful of bands, metal bands in our town, and generally we, when you have a show, it'll be the the bunch of of bands. You know, there's not there's not like any bands get left out or anything. Um, but you kind of the way the scene is in our town, you kind of can't do too many gigs. The minute you start to do one a week, it's sort of it's sort of drops off a bit um so we'll probably play one a month it depends on um recently we've been working on the album for quite a long time so we've sort of uh, peeled back on the gigs a little bit and concentrated more on the on the recording and mixing and everything um because it's kind of like when you're working and in the band at the same time like one has to take precedent over the other you're either in performance mode or you're in writing mode um but at the moment now we're looking to get into into gigging mode, especially with the new album coming out. I mean, we want to like pretty much promote it far and wide and and play as many shows as we can. Um, probably a big part of that would would be playing out of town shows. 
uh, mm-hmm. places like Joburg and Cape Town. Yeah, but but for the most part, it, locally, it's kind of sporadic. How many people usually show up at a gig? I mean, um, I think it was Derek from Devil Speak told me in Cape Town they generally get, I think he said 600 people per gig. What do you guys normally get? Yeah, they, they'll be a bit bigger than us. We have our nights, like, um, like for instance, Halloween, when there's like a dress-up event or whatever. People will really mm-hmm. show place. Um, that could be between 200 and 300 people. Um, your average gig, probably at, between 100 and around about 150 maybe um that's pretty good yeah no not too bad you um uh, it's like i said like it in port elizabeth it can be a bit um like if you've had too many gigs in the last month or something you'll you'll sort of like the audience will be sort of split between them but if if you have a nice big show um every every now and then you'll get you'll pull a decent crowd as long as it's not during the week during the week um we struggle a little bit yeah but mm-hmm. the weekend is pretty cool now now when you say uh a decent decent sized gig that that's 150 or is that or is that like the 300 i wasn't quite clear on that a decent size would probably be between between 150 to 200 that would be okay. your average show and okay. then like on a on a big night like halloween it would be like 300 that that would be like when there's not much space to move and things are pretty packed and that's for an average band around your size that are fairly new then correct yeah 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 if an international band comes down obviously we'll it'll things will be a bit bigger i mean cool. um, last time Volvodynia played in p that was that was a nice big show like people come out for that Interesting. Keithy, how many people usually show up to a, a new band show in New York City? Because here it's like well, 20 people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just kind of depends. We have smaller venues where sort of an opening new band will draw their, you know, 15 or 20 girlfriends, yeah. best friends, buddies. Um, yeah. Because the scene is very incestuous here, let's just say the tri-state area. So that would include Connecticut, where Jesse May lives from alternative control in new jersey and even philly uh from the shows i've seen there if you have kind of a local opener in front of a bigger headliner you might draw a few more people who normally wouldn't come out but yeah i think original your first your your band's first few shows are going to be light probably or once in a blue moon they might you know like i think 25 years ago when i or you know maybe 20 years ago when my bands you know played a lot and toured regionally we would draw people but we had built a following over a long period of time before we really had an album out or music Mm -hmm. out we played a lot live um including a regular spot at a local place that we played like two three times a month sometimes um to the point where we weren't even rehearsing so i think it just depends you know it depends on your marketing it depends on your friends I'm always the person that says you really don't know how good you are until you play in front of strangers and see how they receive you because your friends and your loved ones are always going to tell you you rule. They're also used to hearing you. So they've gotten, even if they don't like it, they've grown accustomed to what you sound like. So they're at least going to be like, Oh, that was pretty good for you, (laughs) which isn't meant to be an insult, but it kind of feels like one. Um, 
I would say probably 15, you know, 15 to 20. Plus, again, I was saying uh, earlier that the scene is very incestuous here. So you bring, like, other bands will come and see you, which is great. But also other bands will come and see you. So it's also not independent fans. There was When I was coming up, there wasn't that many people in bands. You're in a band? Wow. Now it's like, oh, you're in a band, you're in a band, you're in a band. Everybody's in a band. So, you know, there's not that many people who are just – going to shows and you know but you know that's that's just kind of a thing just independent fans i'm I'm saying like a lot of band dudes obviously come out to every show because that's what you're supposed to do but there's definitely you know where are the regular joe and jane fans to come build your fan base with totally okay curious okay um okay so just one last question about playing live um and then i before we get on to that other topic um so when you go to, so if, what are the primary markets to play in south africa it's just johannesburg and cape town and that's about it correct or is there more than that i think there are a few more um with with joburg always comes pretoria they're pretty close um pretoria. together both major yep. cities i keep so forgetting I yeah, and they're, they're, they're really close to one another. So yeah. I think they, they even have a little bit of a different vibe in terms of the metal trends there, okay. in terms of which one is more sort of death metal orientated, which one is more black metal orientated, things like that. Yeah. And obviously you've, you've got Cape Town down that way. Um, Cape Town sort of services that whole Cape region as well because there are, there's like a smaller town next to it called Stellenbosch, which you can play there as well. Um, yeah. Then... Obviously, Port Elizabeth, we've had a few international stopovers, unfortunately, because we're sort of in between two big towns, between Durban and, and Cape Town, we can't yeah. get the midweek show, and the mid- midweek show is obviously not as well supported as the weekend show, but then Durban is a cool place to play, um, Bloemfontein has a scene, which is sort of close to Joburg as well, it's on your way up, up country, okay. um, and then obviously, of course, we've got the... the um, the big metal scene just outside of Africa at Gaborone. Oh, in um, Botswana. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... so that as well. I mean, Bleeding Spawn have gone up there, I think, and, and played a show there. So who is that? Say that again. Bleeding Spawn. I don't know. I don't think I know who that is. Okay. They're the, uh, the other sort of slam, slam, sort of more slam-orientated death metal band, doing well for themselves at the moment as well. Oh, I might know. I might know. I might know them. Then it's just I'm drawing a blank. Okay, so then, so what, if you guys were to actually do a tour or attempt to do a tour throughout South Africa, that would be quite the undertaking. Then, because you're talking like eight to ten hour drives per major city. Then, are you not? Other than the Joburg area? Yeah, it, the the cities are quite far apart. Um, I mean, we went to Cape Town. I think we played Cape Town sixth of March, and um, that's uh, between seven hundred, eight hundred kilometers travel so that's a that's a, a solid day's worth of travel mm-hmm. from there to Joburg, i mean is that's another day you could pretty much stop overnight along the way if you wanted to if you didn't want to push too hard um and then durban's completely the other way we're kind of i suppose we're kind of lucky in that we're in the center of it all we're on the coastline but we're yeah. sort of along the middle line of the country yeah so it's not like we have to travel right across the country to anywhere everywhere is sort of like almost equal distance Joburg's like more like a thousand kilometers from us but yeah okay. you've got to you've got to travel quite a bit and well, that's, make, that's, to make your money back <laughs> well that's what i was just going to say that you're still talking like an eight hour drive even though you're in between everything to Joburg or yeah. cape town right yeah yeah wow 
Okay. <laughs> I think it probably just depends on how pricey gas is, you know? Well, that's almost worse than Canada because it's, well, I mean, it's, yeah, in a way it is because if you were like in Ontario, you, there's like tons of cities you could hit up in a very short radius. Right. But I, I don't know how you guys would do that. <laughs> well, it sounds a lot like Australia, not to make comparisons, but yeah. where the major cities are very spread out and there's not a lot of little towns in between from what I've been told. And mm. so that might be the thing, but, uh, I, you know, you never know. Let's not write it off. You know, these guys are enterprising. Give them a chance. Yep. yep. Well, totally. there's, certainly, there's certainly a number of bands that have done that. I mean, when, like, when what was Flesh God Apocalypse was a good one, they, they pretty much played all, all places. You've just got to basically hope that you make your, your travel cost back at each show, um, hope that you sell a bit of merch and stuff. But it's definitely been done. You know? I mean, it's been done quite a bit. So next question I had that was just in re- just off the subject of touring was more on the fact of like how do you promote your gigs when you are when you are actually doing them like locally like Derek had talked to, to when from Devil Speak when I had him on I think it was on the podcast I'm not sure he had spoken about how it was like you had to mainly be in person and doing doing stuff like in person to promote your gigs is that the same with you guys in Port Elizabeth. Um it's mostly Facebook orientated, really. I mean, um, yeah, you'd you'd have most of your your local fan base on Facebook. Instagram seems to be slightly more international. Um, uh, yeah, and and Twitter, it's more it's more Facebook orientated. So it would be about um, really making sure the the gig poster and the date and the time is in front of everyone. I mean. Um, because it's not like we're saturated with shows. So if people yeah. see it hasn't been a metal show in a month, wow, okay, there's one coming up. People are going to pull out as long as they know about it, as long as you, you're on multiple platforms. Um, there, we, there hasn't been that many flyers around in the last couple of years. People haven't really been doing the flyer thing. Okay, but, maybe I um, misheard them then. Okay, go ahead. You know, but it might, be, it might be totally different in Cape Town. Could be, but yeah. just just from our local our local thing, I think most people rely on on Facebook. How long how long in advance do you usually promote a gig in general? It would normally be about a month or two. Okay, yeah. cool. And then for a tour, I guess like two to three months if you were to do a tour. Yeah, that yeah that would I suppose be a lot more because you you're kind of putting a lot more into it. I mean, with all the planning and if you have to have van rental and things like that, if you, especially if you want to print some merch for the, for the actual tour itself, you really want to get on that and make sure that everything's solid. Totally. Um, Keefe, do you want to do that topic you, you've done? Yeah. Or as, going? yeah okay. as, as we wind, we're going to wind it down with respect yeah. to Curtis's time today. But uh, yeah, I had it in my mind that today is a strange double anniversary of the deaths of both Kurt Cobain and Lane Staley. Really? Um, yeah, they both died eight years apart on April the 5th. And so um, Kurt was Kurt was found on the 8th in his place, and Lane was not found until the 20th, in which his body was badly in disrepair from passing away. But um, 
Uh, you know, clearly, most extreme metal people don't care for the grunge era of music, but I just wanted to reflect on that and ask if there was a particular loss in the music world that affected you. And maybe, you know, we'll start with, you know, we'll, we'll start uh, there. I think my, um, the first one that I really, really felt was um, Chuck from Death. Sure. Um, I don't even know if I was that into extreme metal yet when he passed away, but having got into the band and then learned his story and everything, I always found, thought it was like really sad that he wasn't around anymore because he was so young when he died. I mean, you just imagine what, what death would have become or, or where they would have gone to. And then I think Lenny was, was one that everyone sort of felt. Um, I've actually watched the whole um, remembrance service and everything online as well. That was quite a sad one. How about you, Curtis? Oh, um, that's a hard one to, to say. I mean, probably for me, it would have been probably Kurt Cobain in actual fact from back in the day. So, I mean, like anything recent, I don't think anything recent has affected me quite as much as that did back back at that point in time. Right on. Uh, I wasn't the biggest Nirvana fan and probably my least favorite band from that era. But um, obviously it was, you know, a shockwave. I think for me, I remember when, uh, because it's actually the same day as my late mother's birthday, I remember watching TV when John Lennon's murder was announced on national TV here. I was uh, eight years old. And then it's the same day. However many years later, almost 25 years later, the Dimebag Daryl of Pantera was murdered. And that one for me is probably the worst. The Lemmy one was also particularly difficult. Um, I did also watch that entire Remembrance. I think I was live tweeting my feelings about the Remembrance, which looking back on it, I probably should not have done. But um, it was devastating to me. I cried the whole time. I cried a lot. Pantera was a very important band to me. I had a band that kind of sounded like Pantera, you know, similar to Cliff also was another one, Cliff Burton. I mean, I play bass and partially because of Cliff Burton. And, um, I, you know, even like certain things that he did, I do and did. And we used to cover For Whom the Bell Tolls with the bass solo and I could never play it right live, but I could play it right in rehearsal every time. And it's mm -hmm. just like one of those things. I think there's, yeah, it's just, uh, although a good friend of mine is like, well, you know, you got to make sure to honor people and their life, not just remember and mark their death. But I think it's just particularly surprising that two giants of music passed on the same day and you know it's a coincidence it's not obviously there's not they're not related other than they came from the same geographical era and you know genre time i, I feel like allison chains is a completely different band than nirvana is a completely different band than pearl jam and maybe has some dna to share with soundgarden but nobody else really maybe the melvins so yeah tough chuck was a bad one i this actually i was um i interviewed um Charles from Abysmal Dawn uh, from my podcast and we were talking about because he was in Death to All which was the Chuck tribute and Sean Reiner just passed away right before all this coronavirus stuff happened Sean there was a bunch of sudden deaths in the beginning of the year Neil mm -hmm. Pert and Sean Reiner in particular and Sean uh, he's a huge fan of Sean's I don't play drums but like anybody that loves death metal you know Cynic and you know Sean's work with death uh and he was such a sweet guy. I never really knew Chuck, just his music, right? So, yeah. Sean, I got to know. I interviewed him. I hung, I hung out with him briefly. Like, I saw him play live. I actually saw one of his, one of his last Cynic shows. I saw the whole uh, that tour three times, and I saw him with Death to All. 
where he played with like an Achilles tendon injury and he played flawlessly for a couple of wow. songs. That's awesome. Which is insane if you think about all the double bass and stuff you have to do for those songs. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, just a thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, this won't air today, obviously, and maybe not tomorrow, but just, you know, appreciate your artists that are in your life that inspire you, share their music, you know, remember them while they're alive because once they're gone, they're gone. And then you're just left with podcast hosts getting sad on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just a, excuse my ignorance, but but just as a matter of interest, how old was Lane when he passed? Is he is he a member Lane of was thirty four, so you know it was drugs, and uh, he had long problems with drugs, and that's actually the reason it's kind of sad. Like Allison Chains to me should have been as big as Nirvana or almost as big as Nirvana or Pearl Jam, and because they just didn't tour as much because Lane was always having problems. Yep in and out of rehab or just not doing rehab home sick. Uh, they lost a lot of touring opportunities, which always kind of saddened me because they seem to be the most, except for Metallica and Nirvana, they seem to be the most copied rock band or, you know, sort of sub, not quite full out metal, but metal sounding rock band of that generation. They are the most copied band for sure. Um, yeah. And uh, it just seems like, you know, it's a weird and unjust world where Godsmack is a huge multi-million selling band and Alice in Chains is not a, certainly no footnote, but just not as big as they should be. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Also, also uh, one other thing I want to point out that I forgot after you mentioned was, yes, Chris Cornell actually was another one that affected me as well. I'd forgotten about him. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm still sad. I mean, Cornell, I was at a music festival and I got a text about it. I was like, what? Yeah, Cornell killed himself. I was like, no, why? And then yeah. you go watch the footage of his last show ever. And it's like, I don't want to say it was like foreshadowing, but he seemed unwell. And he's like... <laughs> The band is just kind of looking at him and he's just kind of falling apart emotionally on stage like he knew he was going to do it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, appreciate your heroes. Don't wait till they're gone to appreciate them and share them with everybody, you know? Agreed. Now I'm all bummed out. Damn it. Um, (laughs) Anywho, uh, really great to meet you and uh, I'm definitely digging your band and I wish you a lot of success. We'd definitely love to have you back on in the future and not talk about depressing topics and debts. <laughs> cool. Thanks a lot. If you were really nice chatting to you guys too. Yeah. I'm going to go have a cry now. Um, <laughs> anyway, this has been well, the dumb and dumbest podcast. You have been listening. Are we done yet? We are. Cool. Are we, we're still recording though, Keith.